Hello, my name is Michelle Yanachan, the Wandering Book Collector, and this is my podcast, Conversations with Writers Exploring What's Informed Their Books and Their Lives Around Themes of Movement, Memory, Sense of Place, Borders, Identity, Belonging, and Home. The Wandering Book Collector podcast is supported by Abercrombie and Kent. And a flag for us too here, if you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate us on the app you use to tune in. All we long for is that our brilliant guests be read more and heard more and strong ratings help make that happen. Thank you in advance. I'm joined by the writer and screen and stage actor, Sophie Ward, to discuss her latest book, The Schoolhouse. It follows her debut novel, Love and Other Thought Experiments, long listed for the booker. And before that, a marriage proposal, the importance of equal marriage and what it means for all of us. Sophie, welcome to The Wandering Book Collector. Thank you, lovely to be here. Your latest book, Sophie, The Schoolhouse, has echoes of your own childhood, I think. You attended an experimental school in the 1970s and the character of Isabel in your book also has a similar experience of not learning a traditionally academic curriculum. It's something all writers do, of course, harvesting from personal life experience, whether fiction or nonfiction. Do you feel you have been particularly well endowed with the writing material, given your very rich tapestry of life? <laughs> yes, it's funny that, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm, one of the phrases that I grew up with was, um, if anything was ever particularly challenging, it was character building. Um, and I guess that's, you know, making lemonade out of lemons when things get difficult, at least you know that the, something good will come out of it. And um, uh, I don't know about character, but certainly story for me definitely came out of um, a, a rich and an unusual childhood. Um, you know, I mean, everybody's childhood has, has its own challenges. Um, and I wouldn't say mine was, you know, particularly difficult or anything. It was just unusual. Um, it was very peripatetic. My dad was an actor. We travelled a lot. Um, and so my education, as well as going to an experimental school, was interrupted a lot by by travel. Um, and then my own career, because I started work myself when I was 10. My eldest daughter is 10. I can't imagine her doing anything except kind of slightly brushing her teeth on time. <laughs> well, I mean, really, that's how it should be. I think there's an investigation now about um, about whether or not children should be actors because they're not usually allowed to work in any other profession. It's a bit odd. Well, well might I ask what other personal experiences you've shoehorned into your books? Mm. Um well, I, the, the school that I went to um, was for differently abled children as well as able-bodied children. So um, that's one of the themes of the schoolhouse is this sort of integrated education. So not just that the, the policy was sort of Montessori-based, um, but that the actual experience for all of us children was very integrated. And, and that was an extraordinary opportunity for seven years to be we didn't have classrooms or or lessons um but we did have this very mixed ability group of children in one room um in 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 uh, east london and um and that taught me so many different things about people and, and what what was what really made a person was was nothing to do with how you looked or what you could do but 
but um, to do with, well, I think of it as your consciousness, or, or your, um, I'm also quite comfortable with the word soul, but like the sort of inner qualities that you that you bring um, to to your life and actions you make. So that was something I very much wanted to to build into that book. The school has, I think, probably place as well, and I know obviously that's very relevant to this podcast. Um, but I, I I grew up in uh, North London and East London, and um, and I wanted to convey that sort of urban uh, feel. Um, but at the same time, uh, you can walk the so many green spaces that are slightly odd with railways over them, and then a canal, and then cows, and then um, you know uh, huge estates of council housing and all this mixture of uh, of, of um, people and place I thought I, I really wanted to, to to build that into it and I and I also wanted to bring in um, family relationships and um, I, I think there's, there's there's a few different kinds of families in, in the schoolhouse um, and uh, you know that very strong there's the very strong mother-daughter relationships um and and also the sort of backstory of um of other relationships and the different echoes in families and things like that so yeah I mean it was a, it was a jolt for me to read in your acknowledgments of that book this you wrote I write about flaws and frailties and guilt from my own continued familiarity with those conditions it, it's such a brief line yet makes me want to ask a lot of course but at least to, to ask how you take those conditions or emotions and insert them into your books if if it's very direct for example I feel this so therefore this character might feel this mm. um well no I mean obviously uh, there's things that I feel but also um you know I spent my whole life gathering other people's stories or trying to convey other people's emotions um using my body um and imagination to try and interpret um other writers words and stories and and fill in the gaps um to, to make whole characters um so that's been my my sort of whole life experience really um you know I was making plays when I was a toddler practically and then doing it professionally from when I was young and um, that's how I, I see the world. So I guess I've got this whole, it's funny because I've got a terrible memory about nearly everything in life, but I, I file away all these um, emotions and stories and reactions. And um, and uh, and I guess that's, those, those are the things that I'm bursting to to talk about when I'm writing is, is how people are feeling. But it's not necessarily something I felt, um, but I've certainly things that I understand. Well, it's a very light touch, that statement in your acknowledgements, which for me was similar to what your book character, Detective Sergeant Carter, flicked at in reference to her own childhood. It felt very faithful to reality, if a little mysterious, because that's often how life can be. That You might get hints from someone, but little more when it comes to buried childhoods. And I wondered if that was the point of keeping it opaque, reflecting reality in a way, or, or was it more to build a page turner? Hmm. Um, well, I I want people to be able to bring their own 
interpretations to 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 what I'm writing. I, I don't want it to be just me that's telling the story, a bit like being an actor as well, you know, that the audience or the observer is so much part of the story. So um I I do leave space for people to bring their own ideas uh in. Um also, though, particularly with, with Carter, I felt like I would like to write more books about her and um, I'm still sort of discovering things about her myself. And um, so the, the, some of the layers to her character, I felt, could go into into other books as well. I'm, I, that, that's, that was part of my plan. How intriguing. Um, I, I sense that, that you see this upside and also downside to the education that was offered at the schoolhouse and and for yourself in your own childhood as a nascent writer what did you think that unconventional education give you and and what did it not give you mm. um well i was on the back foot for a long time certainly i didn't really understand all kinds of things about structures that i think other people would understand so patterns and structures were very hard for me to understand in terms of history and geography um uh, I, I, I didn't really have any knowledge of those things and how how they might all work together. So everything was very li little bits of things I was desperately trying to piece together. And then when I did go to a more conventional school, um, I was uh, I didn't I, I was so behind. So I then acted up, and you know my pride took hold of me, sort of pretending that I wasn't interested in certain things and that which I obviously really regret now but I have to take responsibility for those those things now and I and I there was even a cupboard in my secondary school where I I could fit in and I used to go in there and the other um, children would let me um, pretend that I was away I was at home or ill or whatever just so that I didn't have to go through the humiliation of not understanding what was going on in the class so of course then I just got further and further behind um so then I, I so that in terms of strictly academic sense, I, I did definitely miss out. But but then I had to sort of compensate. Um I read a lot, I've always loved reading, so that that was that was fine. Um and that gave me a lot of understanding um and a little bit of knowledge. And then when I was in my 30s, I went back to school. And I think so I think that impulsion to find out things myself came from um well from sometimes from the actual structure because Montessori is about um the child being independent and solving problems and doing what they want to do so there was a little bit of that but also just you know wanting to know what other people were talking about being able to be part of the conversations about things and understand the world a bit better so um and by then I've got my own children and I wanted to be able to help them navigate their own education. I was the first person in my family to go to university um, and I didn't go till I was 35. Um, so I wanted to be able to help them do that uh, as well. And uh, so, so it gave me, I guess, the desire to learn um, and as well as, you know, an understanding about all kinds of different people that at a more conventional school I wouldn't have had. And perhaps it also gave you fearlessness to write bravely, <laughs> because Love and Other Thought Experiments, your debut, was was genre busting and straddled time and place. For example, a character comes back unexpectedly and 
one chapter is told from the perspective of an ant and some of the book is set well into the future and and then you followed it with the schoolhouse a much more traditional novel and brave also i think because of course many were watching to see what you a, a book a long lister did next so maybe that education you know gave some freedom and courage and, and original thinking that, that sometimes beaten out of us in more traditional curriculum yeah yeah sure i mean i think that definitely that definitely is part of it and my romance. Um, I mean, I'm... <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it was pretty rough and ready what was going on there. But um, and I and I'm never quite sure. You know, sometimes we're lucky to be born with a, a certain resilience and confidence, and and I, I think that is hugely lucky. And I and I and I and I do feel that. And I'm and I'm sure some of that came from my parents too. Um, you know, they they were very young when they had me, and they were um, very busy and uh, sort of chaotic. But I know they loved me, and and um, so there was a sort of a, I wouldn't say I'm fearless. I've got loads and loads of fears, <laughs> um, but I I yes, what I try to get on with things anyway. Uh, it's a brave book that one. Um, so so in a sense that maybe some of this. For example, permission to use your imagination like you did so wildly in in love and other thought experiments. I mean, that's something that that traditional school can can inhibit. But but maybe that just comes naturally to you anyway. You know, ever the daydreamer. Yes, I'm definitely the daydreamer, staring out the window, uh, away with the fairies, all of those things. Everybody, or, or with my head in a book and not not hearing what other people are saying. Um, Tenuous grip on reality, I think one of my reports said. Um, so yes, I, I think that it probably just is my my character. But um, I, I, I'm I'm sorry to hear you say, and it sounds like you might be saying that from experience that conventional education can move those things or or or, or try, sort of try to smooth out the rougher edges. Maybe I think so. I mean. As you say, it's it's quite individualistic, and 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 some might be tougher than others to mm -hmm. keep true to what they want to learn and and how they want to learn. But but yeah, I don't know if we've got it right. It's such a tough one. And as a mum too, like you, um, you kind of watch these pure, unsculpted forms learning in particular ways that. You know, system or state dictates. It's hard because they're so pure, and and then they're not. They kind of are trying to be a little bit cloned and and prepared for the world, as you put it yourself. You know that allows them to be in conversations and allows them to to feel confident in the world that we've created. But um, but yes, of course, you therefore lose some of your slight, maybe kind of quirky, unusual characters. Mm. Mm. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's everything conspires. Obviously, we are in a society, and um, that ant-like quality of, of of needing to be part of a system um, for the system to work for everyone's benefit, um, and, and yet all the really interesting strides forward happen because of the outsiders, because of the people who don't fit that mold. Um, so yeah, it's that balance, isn't it? I know, and I agree with you totally. As a parent, that's tricky. I think the thing is that 
you you want to be able to give your children and give yourself the the the, the tools the resources to be able to problem solve and find things out um without necessarily just sort of downloading loads of information as a child you said it was peripatetic you know with your acting parents was that tough at the time or was it actually energizing I loved it um I, I was really happy traveling and I, I wasn't that you know I know other people who found it really difficult that they always wanted to be at school on the first day and they never were so you weren't ever sitting next to the kids you wanted to sit next to and you didn't really know what was going on I didn't really know what was going on anyway so maybe that didn't matter so much um and you know we'd go we're living it sounds glamorous I mean sometimes it was sometimes it wasn't um but you know you're living in hotels and you're seeing other countries and seeing extraordinary things um being on film sets and um being having the privilege to go to um you know villages in Morocco or um school I went to school in York for a bit um and it, that you know that's that was so invaluable to me I loved it I was never unhappy about about um traveling um and and I did do that a lot with my own kids actually when and, and I, but I did have the conversation with them you know when this feels like you'd really just want to be going to school and have a more like term time situation let me know but for most of their primary school we were they were in Russia and um Zimbabwe and America and all over Europe and uh, and as far as I understand it the way they say it to me now they they did enjoy it too and where did you love and and was it was there ever a thought that you might you know, not just wander but 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 also maybe put down roots somewhere else I don't know I mean I'm used, you, London is definitely a base um I don't really mind particularly where I am I'm always interested in it but um I don't have a sort of thing where I, I mean I of course there's loads of places I love being in and if I was going to on a holiday or somebody said oh you're going to do a film there or a play there I'd be very happy to go but um I am maybe over adaptable I I'm so used to being in a, a caravan or a dressing room uh, or a hotel room and making up my own world in that space um I think one film I was on for two months and I had about three lines and everything was going wrong so they kept me on and kept me on and I was in a 10 by 6 room from six in the morning till eight at night every day for two months basically um and I was happy as Larry it, physically the locations are often um very odd and remote um the nice thing about traveling with work is that you, um, as I know you know too, you get to be with people who are actually living and working there. You're not just there as a tourist, so you get to see the actual working of the city and um, and understand the people more. But um, but I'm also if I've got books, and now obviously with also if you have um, access to the, the world online, um, there's just so much that can go on in your head. Yes, your head. Um, I feel in the schoolhouse this this sense of homelessness for for Isabel, one of your characters. Although although she has a home, it's as if 
in trying to stop her past catching up with her, she tries to stay anonymous in the world and, and unnoticeable. It's as if home is the last thing she wants, actually a dangerous place to be. And I wondered where, where you found your anchor points over the years. Hmm. As opposed to, to, to Isabel. I mean, I, you know, obviously she's trying to protect herself from that trauma, from her own part that she felt she played in it, as well as the, the, um, the antagonists that were that were involved who she now feels she's at risk from I think what she feels most at risk from is everybody finding out what happened and rather than necessarily her own physical danger um but um but yes so that's that's different for me I I I fortunately didn't have that experience um and I guess anchor points for me really are are people um you know if I I'm lucky enough to be in long-term relationship and um I've got children and grandchildren and my I'm in a four-generation family I'm still got my mom and so you know there's a lot there's a lot there isn't there there's a lot when you've got family um and and close friends and um that's very busy just even um you know looking after and maintaining and being with those people so I guess it's people that are mostly anchor points for me yes reflecting on your previous novel Sophie Love and Other Thought Experiments I wanted to quote something short from the book to you welcome home Captain Price which is the voice of the earth-based headquarters and then in Captain Price's head you write sure home if home meant danger loneliness and unacceptable risk of failure and Captain Price, or, or Arthur, as we know him mostly in the book, has actually just landed in a shallow crater on the smaller of Mars's two moons. You add that he was glad to be there. I slightly <laughs> love that quote I've chosen, <laughs> especially for those listeners who haven't yet read your book, because it's quite out there, literally. Mm. Um, mm. But on the back of that, quote Sophie about home I wanted to ask you where home is for you now mm-hmm. I think a very London girl right yeah yeah I mean I'm 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 at home not that often because of my other job but um but that is where I think of as home is is Hackney um but um I also yeah I feel very strongly that home isn't necessarily a safe place for a lot of people this idea of um uh you know everybody's going to be rushing home all the time um and when i when i came out because i'm married to a woman um i was very aware of how many kids on the street were homeless because families had rejected them and I think something like a third of homeless people under 25 were LGBTQ plus um and and I I feel that um so strongly that there's for all kinds of reasons there are loads of um people growing up where home isn't safe um and I I I didn't want to sort of I don't like that romanticization of oh you know home it's like that's not available to so many people um and now obviously I think I'm particularly aware of uh, 
how many people are, are, are homeless in the world sense um, and, and, and how we can make that more of a sort of open concept of, of, of what home is. It's not two plus two in a two up, two down, you know. So, so was it always straightforward though, answering that question for you? Have you always had kind of a, a place, a sanctuary? Mm. Um, I think books were my sanctuary as much as anything um, and the world of the imagination you know I, I, children are very vulnerable aren't they and they're so much at the whim of everybody else saying where they're going to be and what they're going to do and um, I did retreat very often just into the world of my imagination not that I was in danger or anything I, I wasn't but I I very much had that sense of, well, that's where I've got my my superpower is in my head. You know, um, I can't I can't say what I'm going to do today because everybody else is going to tell me what I've got to do. But when I've got a moment, I can escape from it. Going back to one of your activism, if I can call it that, your, your first we're in the LGBTQ plus community, your your first book, a marriage proposal was a non-fiction short about same-sex marriage. Would you call that book a form of activism? I guess so. It was a cri de coeur, you know, um, at the time, the idea that same-sex couples could get married was being um, discussed and argued over um, politically in the UK. Um, and we'd being given the opportunity to have a civil union, which which was great because legally that offered a lot of protections that we hadn't had before. Um, but the word marriage came laden with um, so many uh, meanings for different people. And I think I wanted also to look at how there were some heterosexual couples who with the best will in the world did not want um, same-sex couples to suffer but they didn't feel that they didn't feel comfortable with the idea of marriage because they'd got the, a definition in their head and um you know a lifetime of experience and um millennia of uh historical examples and it was so hard for people to push against that and the, and I know there was a lot of sort of talk about orwellian changes of meaning and um and hard as it was as a lesbian to hear sort of one's existence and rights being discussed that much, I could understand it to some extent um, that it was a new concept for a lot of people. Um, so I wanted to write the book not just for same-sex couples or their families and friends, but also for people who who didn't really know why why was why was it so important for a same-sex couple if we were so different and we were, you know, being so rebellious and we're trying to make our own lives, why did we want to hang on the coattails of a patriarchal tradition? Um, and sure enough, there were, there were plenty of gay people who felt that too, you know. So I just wanted to say why it was important personally for me and also historically how that has happened in lots of different societies. Um, there have been some sort of same-sex unions permitted um, and and why this word marriage meant so much. 
the gay characters in your novels, and um, particularly in the schoolhouse, I, I felt just kind of there, like Carter and her girlfriend, who are a lesbian couple who happen to be police officers, for example, they're just part of the novel's landscape. And, and is that the point, in fact, that it doesn't need to be a discussion or a debate anymore? Yeah, I definitely think we're a different, um, you know, in this country, in the UK anyway, we're, we're, we're at a slightly different point now and we're moving on from, I mean, coming out stories will always be big um, and, you know, your family's acceptance and social acceptance will, will never, I don't think, completely um, be not a story. Um, but the, the nowadays, most people um, know lots of gay people couples and it's not such a big deal and if they don't know them personally you know they've got lots of examples in art literature and on television and um so yeah so it's sort of moving on from that putting the stories in but also there will still be particular um obstacles that that couple come across that a, that a straight couple might not meet i mean the schoolhouse um is set in the 90s and there was still a lot of well <laughs> there still is a lot of chauvinism in the police force i think with there's been a lot of stories recently, particularly about the Met, um, but but also um, homophobia and you know how how to how to navigate that and you know your career versus your personal life and all of those discussions. So is Carter appearing again? Is this detective coming up? <laughs> You've given me kind of a slightly tantalising clue that she might. <laughs> Well, I, the book I'm writing at the moment she, is not, it's more, um, uh, no, it's uh, slightly more, not experimental, but anyway, it's not, it's not in set in that world. And then the, the, the ne my next book will be, I'm hoping will be back to uh, a, a Carter story, yes. Two ahead. So <laughs> can you tell me a little, can you say anything about the current work in progress? Yes, so I'm just... Um, uh, looking at this particular period in the 1970s and the connections between um, uh, war, the war, the war that was going on um, in Vietnam and the displaced people from that, and then how the sort of powerful, some some powerful poets and writers um managed to reach out to um different different people um with the power of language and ideas and um and and lift them up and help them to grow up and you know like language is the first thing that gets taken away when your country's um invaded isn't it the the the, the power that takes over takes away your language makes you speak the language of their country um, and then also, um, in a smaller way, language is so powerful, um, even even with laws changing now, you know, now that I can say I'm married, that's that's a much more powerful thing and conveys to people so much um, than, well, this is my girlfriend or um, my partner, my businessy partner. Um, so so yes, just how how, words and ideas can travel across countries and boundaries and reach a child in the middle of of a country trying to grow up and learn 
So it's interesting. I'm not far from Vietnam right now. And, and the first time I went there, which was a very long time ago, but I, I was taken by the fact that we all call it the Vietnam War outside. Mm. But of course, in Vietnam, they've had many, many wars. It's not the Vietnam War there. It's, you know, the US Vietnam War of the 70s, yeah. very specific. And, and even that, I think, of that kind of hijacking of the language, so that globally it's become known as the Vietnam War. But for the people who actually suffered, measures, yes. absolutely. Bound, yeah. it's, it's even got a different name. And yes. And, and 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 also so so navigating that as a writer is is not my world to appropriate as well and you know um so i'm looking at it from trying to tell the story from other points of view which hopefully conveys um some of the things that have happened to other people but but without trying to appropriate um in people's stories as you say you know that the like that language is so and it's so embedded in me you know the vietnam war is just, but i am looking at it particularly from from that american prism and those american soldiers who went over and came back and um and meanwhile all, all the 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 protests and the sort of uprisings that were happening in europe as well um and the the, the students trying to trying to process what was happening and get some get some rights some civil rights established it sounds like another layered book of interconnected stories are you are you thinking Sophie at all about scripts or plays at all about penning any of those different format um I'm not thinking about um plays um because the 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 difficulty with that is that you a bit like my other job as an actor you write the play um and then you have to wait for it to be put on and that's then at the mercy of so many other people now of course that's also true with books that there's a, a huge collaboration that happens but nevertheless once you've written a book it exists and someone can read it um and you don't have to go through five thousand meetings about various things and you know, I've spent so much of my life um, waiting to get jobs or, you know, um, having a job and thinking it's going to finish and then you're out of work again and blah, 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 the whole process starting again. It's very powerless feeling. Um, and the so I really, really enjoy the autonomy of being able to write whenever I want to write. Um, so plays in, in that way for me sort of bring me back to that that world of being um, at the mercy of so many other things. Um, scripts as well, absolutely. But if I if something was already happening, I, I mean, I'd be interested in uh, adaptation. I like adapting things. So I'd be more comfortable with that possibly. Because yeah. if you could adapt your own <laughs> and maybe be in it, which character would you like to play? <laughs> and you can't say I, I don't have I don't <laughs> you know you know that's what I'd like to play yeah um I don't uh, I don't write with an idea of being in anything that I've written I know people do write with um, you know they cast things in their mind um uh I, I don't have that in fact I, I don't have a very good um visual memory for people I don't really 
I often don't recognize people. Um, uh, it's more about who, who 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 somebody is rather than I don't really recognize what people look like most of the time. It's not complete work, um, face blindness, but there's something there. Um, I don't really I, I don't think I'd like to be in any of my books I don't think I want to be they feel very separate to me unless you're an insect the, the best thing about being an actor is totally not being yourself the hardest thing is if it's closer to you that's the harder it gets um so yeah I mean I, I'm maybe a sort of a, 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 a an astronaut of some description I would be. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to go to Mars anyway. If I, if if we could actually go to Mars, I'd be I'd be straight there. Oh, I'll be your wingman. <laughs> Great. I know you're 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 much travelled. Oh, well, not um, not yet to outer space, but happily um, join you on that voyage. Wonderful. Sophie, to wrap, I just wanted to ask as um such an sympathetic and empathetic writer to so many I think um what's your favorite place to to write mm. um I really like to be outdoors if I can be um and if there's a tree then I'm very very happy because I want to look at a, a bird or a leaf or a butterfly or a blade of grass or an ant and um let my mind go to that other place i think i think it's an alpha brain state i think it is which is like the child's brain um where it's the most free so that's the fewest distractions um but these little connections and um beauty that 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 that's that's where i'm happiest I mean, and is that in a park in London or in the Cotswolds or in Florida or in Morocco? Where Where is that? Any of those, any of those. Um, I've got, got a little space at the, uh, um, at the back of my flat and that's got an extraordinary array of different things going on. There's um, parties uh, in the houses behind me and there's goats in the garden next door to me. This is in, in a Hackney Terrace. Um and uh, I'm also in and live in an Orthodox Jewish community. Um, so there's all kinds of amazing things happening where I am. And um, But there's also a tree. And so I'm very happy there. Um, but I'm also happy on a beach or, you know, but being outdoors, yeah. Sophie Ward, thank you for joining me on The Wandering Book Collector. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here with you. And my thanks to the supporter of this podcast, Abercrombie and Kent. Goodbye.